0: winter.
1: Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 62nd episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Olva, Gomatra, and Ed. I'm Alistair Satchel. I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. In this episode I talk with Juliana Ashford or more precisely Juliana Mercorio of Tobermory. I hope this finds you happy and well, wherever and whenever you may be. I first met Juliana not long after moving to Mull, and we were both on the committee of Mull Film Club in its early days. Juliana's life started off in the town of Madaloni, near Naples in Italy. One of the first things we talk about is the Second World War, which she experienced as a small child. We then talk about her family and life in Maddaloni. Juliana's father was based in South Africa for a lot of her childhood, where he tried to build a stable life for his family to come and join him. South Africa was home for many years, and it's where Juliana had her family with her first husband. While there, she met and fell in love with Nick Ashford, the foreign correspondent for The Times, who became her second husband. Their life together took them to Washington, D.C., and then back to London, where Nick was one of the founding members of the independent newspaper. Sadly, Nick died at the age of 47. And Juliana came to settle on the Isle of Mull, where she's lived ever since. There's a lot packed into this episode. Juliana paints such clear pictures of people and places with her words. There is one moment where she talks about the death of her paternal grandfather, which may be upsetting to some listeners, so please be aware of this moment when we come to talk about her father's early life. It was an utter delight to spend time with Juliana in her flat in Tobermory, some months ago now, chatting about her life. She has a lot to say, which I'm sure many of you will really connect with. I'll be back at the end of the episode with more hot waffle about episodes to come, archival conversations from many years ago, a film and a school's project. But now, it is with the greatest of pleasure that I pass you over to Juliana. (laughs) Juliana Who are you?
0: That's a difficult one to answer, isn't it? Who am I? I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't have. I'm in my 80s. Well, my real name is Giuliana Mercario. I don't ever think of myself as Ashford, although I love the man whose name I took when I married, but I'm very much a Mercario. Mercario from Maddaloni, which is 20 minutes from Naples. Small town where there are lots of Mercarios there. Yeah, I always felt I belonged there. I never felt I belonged anywhere else, although I've lived everywhere else since I was ten. But that wasn't my choice.
1: What does that sense of belonging mean?
0: Oh, just feeling at home and not feeling like a stranger. Yeah, it's, it's part of, of everything around you, of the language, of the, of the, in Naples, in that part of the world, especially, I love Neapolitan. It's much more beautiful than Italian. Luke was in Italy, in Rome, the other day, and he phoned and he said, oh, no, no, Italian is such an elegant language. It is elegant, but Neapolitan is musical because it doesn't end, it doesn't end in vowels. Everything slides in something else. That's why some of the most famous songs, like Come Back to Sorrento," you know, it's all, they're all Neapolitans. But unless they're sung by a Neapolitan, they're not right. You know, you've got to be a Neapolitan to speak that kind of language, which is very expressive.
1: What was Madaloni like growing up then?
0: Well, don't forget that I, the first seven years of my life were during the war, because I'm old. Of course. The war broke out when I was one year old. Yeah, I'm 1930 and 1939. But, funnily enough, I have very happy memories of the war. (laughs) Not so much of Germans coming to, because we used to hide. We didn't have proper war uh, refugee, r- refuges, mm-hmm. so you'd go to the bottom of the building, we had a good chance of being buried alive there, of course, you know. But I do remember drunken German coming while the bombs were falling and telling us all to get out or we'd be shot. But I just found it terribly interesting. Because a child's not scared of dying. You don't know what death is. Now, of course, you're not going to die. What's death? You don't even ask yourself that question. So my war years were very happy because we had to give a uh, a room up, even though we lived in a two bedroom flat, and I slept with my mother in her bed, and the, my brother slept in the sitting room, and then which turned into a bedroom at that. I don't know where we put him, but we had to put. We had to take a soldier and the first one was a woman because my mother said she didn't want any men around. My father had left when I was one to go to South Africa and he couldn't come back so I never met him until I was 10. That's what took us to South Africa. But I was very happy, I had these two amazing brothers, you know, adored me, my grandfather adored me, called me his little gypsy, it was great. So we took this this woman in, and then my brothers behaved in a very strange, excitable, excited. Even I noticed they're much older than me. They were already in their teens. And my mother dragged me off to the mayor, and she said she didn't run that kind of house. She didn't want this woman there anymore. Obviously, she was entertaining. (laughs) So the next person we had was Amazingly lovely, and he had hardly any hair, just little moustaches, and then a little like like Saint Francis thing round his head. And whenever he went out, of course, I went to look at the room, what he had, and everything. And he had so many brushes and t- and little brushes, so we called him Spazzolino.
1: Little brushes.
0: Just little brushes. And what does he brush? You know this man has hardly got any hair. Very gentle, mild person. And then we used to—we didn't have a garden. We lived on the third floor of the one of the roads on the buildings on the main road, and it had a long balcony on which I had a hammock. Which my mother said I shouldn't use between two and four because she was sleeping and the hammock squeaked. So my—I loved looking out of onto the street. Because by this time, the, the Americans were there. And I remember them so drunk, yeah. falling on the street, you know, and then a chap in a jeep, black chap that everybody said, ah, it came out of bigger jaw. It was called Big Joe. Would pick them up by the scruff of their necks at the, and throw them in the jeep. So, I was, so that was amusing. And then the other things I loved, singing. Mm. And we had a cinema downstairs and a record shop, and I could hear what was very much in fashion that year was Louis Armstrong. You know, and what was that song that you always say? Storm, yes. And of course, I couldn't, I didn't know English, but I heard so many times, I was singing one day often, Stormy Weather. It's so nice to be together, stormy weather. And this spazzolino came out and he gave me a bar of chocolate. My first chocolate ever.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And then he said, domani in italiano, per favore. Oh, lovely. So every afternoon I was singing away, you know, dova l'Americano, Americano, Americano <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> to get my chocolate.
1: Oh, so it's a
0: very happy
1: memories. That's extraordinary. I wonder what Spazzolino's stories were. Why, you know, was he? Uh, he
0: must have been missing his family. I was a yeah. little girl. Yeah. Was probably a children. He must have been middle aged. Yeah. you know. Yeah.
1: Can you describe the village to me then? What was it like? You say downstairs there was a <laughs> cinema. What was it like to go to the cinema? What did it smell like?
0: Well, the cinema was, you know, not like in cinemas. It's very crowded mm. and people making comments and, <laughs> you know. I do not think I was allowed to go by myself to the cinema because it was open to all ages and, yeah. you know, it wasn't suitable. My mother was very... My mother was middle-class, but she'd married beneath her. Hmm. But, of course, if I have any brains, it came from my father, who had a very Dickensian childhood, because when he was 12, his father killed himself. And that's another very interesting story. And my father started roaming the world, selling suit lengths. Yeah, he he and the other boys of his age were under the protection of a Fagin-like character who quite believed in, in stealing kind of thing. But it would say, only from the rich, never from the poor. You always protect the poor, Robin Hood mentality. Mm, yeah. My father was incredibly clever. And, uh, yeah, and sort of... <laughs> <laughs> but my grandfather was Maréchal de Carabinieri. Oh, wow. And this, yeah. And they said, you grab that Mercario when he comes to Maddalon. He's got to go straight to jail because he's avoided military training and whatever. And that's where my father saw, my mother saw this beautiful, very elegantly dressed man, you know, in jail. They didn't hold him for long, you know. And that was, yeah, my mom falling in love with someone to my grandfather's shock and horror. But they actually got to love my father because he was a very generous man and very clever man. Just didn't have a, a chance. And Madaloni, what's Madaloni like? My mother hated Madaloni. She was very beautiful, and she was there during the war. It was really hard, you know, surviving and fending off men. Mm-hmm. You know, she's very highly respectable because my father was in South Africa all this time and she had to find food and, and feed three of us. Uh. Gosh. But she, and of course, it's, being a small place is very gossipy. Mm. So she said, oh, I hate that, you know, whatever. But I loved it. You know, I loved it. I loved the course. We lived on the main road and uh, then the, the, the patron saint was San Miguel, there was a, the tower of San Miguel and I just found it very it was my world yeah it's a small busy country town and of course being in the south it was known for its tomatoes and that the fields growing there but we didn't have a garden or anything we lived on the top flat you know.
1: You mentioned that the story of your father's father. Is it okay to ask about that? What, what happened yeah. there? What, what, what was oh, his story? Oh, God,
0: I would have loved meeting that man because he's my grandfather, yeah. Giuseppe Mercario. Red haired and people loved him. He had a dreadful wife whom I disliked intensely, my paternal grandmother called Antonietta. She was horrible. He was a very successful innkeeper, Otrattoria. Mm-hmm. He had nine of them. Ooh. But he didn't believe in banks because he thought there were a lot of crooks ah. in those days, you know, southern Italy, whatever. Yeah. So he had a special hiding place. And one day he went to his hiding place. All his money had gone. And the only person who knew about it was his best friend from childhood. So he felt doubly betrayed, and he had a kind of nervous breakdown. My grandmother seized the opportunity to have him put in a lunatic asylum. Well, you know, which in those days, can you imagine the nightmare of a psychiatric ward, which was a lunatic asylum? Yes. And when my father, was, my father was 12 at the time, went to see him, he hugged him and kissed him and said, Carlo. Remember that I'm not mad. And then he killed himself. Banging his head against the wall. Yeah, so I never met him. I would have loved him. Fortunately, I had the other grandfather who adored me. The yeah. Maréchal.
1: Yeah, tell me about your other grandfather, your, your, your maternal grandfather. What was he like?
0: My grandfather was very tall and blonde and blue-eyed which he had come from Sicily and he had a very unusual surname, Genax, which is a very unusual surname. I I don't know anything about him, except he came to Madaloni. he was the head of police there, and I remember, you know, he was married to, you know, Nona Teresa, who didn't like anybody except my, my oldest brother. Uh I could say she had good taste because he was wonderful, you know. <laughs> But I had him. He was called Gaetano Genax.
1: And what did Gaetano and you do? What what sort of adventures did you go on together?
0: Well, we didn't... Well, by that time, he was quite old when I was born. You know, he was already... He wasn't wasn't an acting policeman anymore, but we used to walk up and down. He used to love swinging a cane Mm. and holding me by the hand, and then we'd go to the special club for carabinieri, and he'd show me off and we'd sit and, you know, or we'd sometimes go to mass together at uh, his favourite church, which is, again, uh, that's what i have done to go to Italy. And he uh, it just was terribly loving. I mean, if I had, uh, whatever he did, he, he did it with such love for me. If he gave me an apple, he shone it until it looked, was like a jewel And he'd hand it over to me because there was no money there for books, any any luxuries. This was during the war. Mm. So he was great. And then during the war, when it started getting really bad, my mother decided we would go to a place in the country, away, in the deep country, away in a village. But my grandfather refused to come with us. He used to sit on his balcony smoking his pipe yeah so he didn't come but we we, we got back we saw him we all survived and maddalonio just a very noisy italian little town full of gossip but i loved it i, I wasn't involved in the gossiping or whatever you know and i had best friend there the best friend's father was the kind of man i would have loved because he gave her paints and books and all kinds of things I wanted, uh, which Wanda, she was, she was you know, she loved running in the street, etc. I was a melancholic kid who liked to read and think, whatever. And then he fell in love with my mother. And no, it must uh, have been difficult. It was difficult, like, uh, yeah, because I remember him coming to fetch Wanda one day at our little flat. And when my mother opened the door and saw him, she slapped and She said, I told you not to ever come here again. And years later I asked her, did she ever have an affair with him? she said, oh, she was, no. She was in love with him, but she said, we live in a little town. Imagine what they would have told your brothers. Yeah. So that was it, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was my world. I loved Madaloni. Mm-hmm.
1: What kind of impact did you see of the war on Madelonie as a child? You've talked about the soldiers and that, but how did you? Was it was the war
0: always present from you know from your first year? What, yeah, how... well, it was so part of my life. I didn't even notice. Just when the, the when the war the, the you know the bombs f- started falling, we my f- mother would grab me a little jewel box that she had, and we'd go down and and stay in the cellar. You know, but to me it was all very fun, you know, seeing people and, you know, people downstairs in the cellar. You know. Especially one a very rich man who was there and he kept talking about all the lovely things he'd had for supper. Mm-hmm. We'd shared like some bread that we because, you know, there's no food, no money. But I found it amusing that and interesting that he'd talk about these things that I never ate. Oh, yeah. mm.
1: <laughs> you, you mentioned there uh, that your father was off in South Africa for the first 10 years of your life. Yeah. What point did the family decide to come back together in, in South Africa? What was the decision that made your mum go, now is the time, I have to go, or what had your father? What was the story?
0: Well, it's like refugees now. I mean, I have a, a friend yeah, who's having a terrible time getting his wife from Thailand to come and live here. He was telling me about it last night. It was just as bad in South Africa. Took him years to get permission for us to join him. You know, and uh, yeah, it was, I think, that's when my unhappiness started. I'd never been unhappy, poor. Yeah, know, during the war. But the last three years, there was no war. From seven to ten, the war had ended. And mm-hmm. I saw the sea for the first time. We went on holiday for the first time. All lived in there. Just rented a couple of rooms somewhere in Masalubran. Lubranza. So I still have wonderful memories of it. Near Sorrento, that part of the world. Beautiful. And the sea for the first time. And oh, it was. Great. Mediterranean, yeah. And then off we went to South Africa and as I said, apartheid was, was what's the word? Established yeah. while we were on the boat. Mm-hmm. I was 10, 1948, apartheid. So that's the kind of South Africa I went to. You know, don't do this. I used to play in the street until 11 o'clock in Italy. Go to South Africa, no, 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 And you know. Yeah. Don't go in the say it's dangerous, it's it's you know, it's you know, it's even now I was in South Africa. I hate going there. It's just that I have so many people I love there. And it was Jacaranda time. You know jacarandas. Oh, I'll find you phone, oh. They're, they're trees full of of of, of lilac blossoms, mm. and the streets are sort of lined with jacarandas. You see a carpet of mauve lilac. Mm. And I said to my favourite niece, "I think I'll go for a walk." She said, "Don't be mad. It's terribly dangerous. People get kidnapped, raped, killed. That's South Africa now." And then in the old days, it was still also bad because, of course, every African was seen as a as a whatever, you yeah. know, and uh, so yeah. there was always fear, yeah. no freedom, whereas I had all the freedom in the war in Italy as a child, I played in the street until 11 o'clock, yeah.
1: Do you remember leaving uh, the village as well, originally, like how did you leave the village?
0: Oh, heartbroken, because my fa- grandfather just wept and wept. And you asked me what I thought of my father. Yeah. When we got to Durban, I looked, and my mother had always shown me photographs of him, really handsome man and everything. I, and I looked, and I looked, and then I saw. And then my mother, know oh, what, the lilies. Yeah, he was balding, <laughs> and he looked old. He was only 45 or something, mm-hmm. but to me, you know, it was ten century old. And then he came up and he kissed my mother on the lips. I was shocked. Mm. You know, never seen her being touched by any. And then someone kissing my mother. (laughs) But he was actually a very nice man. Mm. I never got to really love him, but I'd love to meet him now. He was very clever and funny. He had a bit of a stutter and it was very annoying because whenever he came to the punchline, you're stuttering so much and laughing because he, he thought it was very really funny that the punchline never came out. I was so annoyed. <laughs> yeah, but he was lovely. You had, had a hard life. And I think he was a bit intimidated by me because I couldn't speak Neapolitan. And he spoke beautiful Italian, yeah. because my grandfather would say, "No, non si, you don't say that." Like you yeah. come back from school where you mix with everybody, the children who, you know. And there was my father he couldn't speak Italian. He spoke Neapolitan, which I absolutely love now. And all those immigrants in Cape Town, you know, you know, they were poor immigrants who'd made a life. Some of them made a life. What was it he did in Cape Town? My father eventually, my, <laughs> influenced by my older and most wonderful brother who, who, who was very clever, you know, who always got the prize for classics and for philosophy and whatever, and very honest, and he said to my father, I will not come into business with you unless you promise to run a really honest business. And by this time my father had made enough money and he opened the first textile shop in Cape Town. Where he sold Harris Harris mm. tweeds and did the everything would be in Scotland. Wow. Harris tweeds, etc. It was called M and M. Woolens, yeah. Gosh. So that's when my father got turned respectable. Amazing. And he—he he was a bit scared of me. He Used to call me la signorina <laughs> with irony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, I had my brother Bruno. Mm. He was truly beautiful—not mm-hmm. just handsome. He had really film good. star looks. Mm. And so beautiful, you know. When I look at midnight at uh, Saturday Night Fever and. Uh, is getting ready to go out with his gold chain, yeah. doing his hair. I remember Bruno. Yeah. So he he was Cape Town was in love with him. Yeah. Yes. And then my other brother became a philosopher, philosophy lecturer. My my older oldest brother. Yeah. And my father turned respectable.
1: <laughs> South Africa itself. What what joys were there to be found in South Africa
0: at that time? Well, I buried myself in books. Ah,
1: who were the writers that you really that really grabbed you?
0: Well, I couldn't speak English, but I learned it fast. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, yeah, I started as this poor little kid who couldn't say a word. I I remember the the children opposite. Um, their mother said, oh, girls, girls, there's a little girl next, to, come and meet, go and meet her. And they ran across the, the, the street and they, and they must have said things. And I said, me no speak English. Mm-hmm. Because my father said, if anybody speaks to you, just say me no speak English. And we're still friends now. Once in oh, New brilliant. Zealand, once in South Africa, we still write to each other. They were lovely. They became like a family.
1: That was gorgeous. So what was it like meeting your dad for the first time?
0: What was that experience like? <laughs> uh, it was quite disappointing oh. because the boat, I fell in love with someone on the boat. He was 18, I was 10, hmm. and he made such a fuss of me. He was lovely. He was a soldier going off to Mogadish or somewhere. Oh, my I know, uh, oh. uh, you know, and he was sweet. I called him Baffo. Which meant because he had the mustache. And I remember it with t- that he had tears in his eyes when he said goodbye. Obviously, he had a sister or whatever, you know, mm. found this kid funny. Mm. And uh, what was I reading on? The- because I was a great reader, That just yeah. my escape always has yeah. been. Except for lockdown now, when I can't read, I look at movies, I yeah. can't concentrate, the books are there, I can't concentrate.
1: It's a, that is a recognised thing, definitely, our, our short term attention spans are kind of shattered, I think, with a lot of things. It's, yeah. Yeah, we flip from thing to thing. It's, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's crazy. But, yeah, who were the writers that really stood out to you? Well, the
0: you... boat had a, had a library. Ah, so fantastic. I, I was in heaven. I had Buffer to make a mm-hmm. fuss of me. Yeah. I had my brothers who adored me. Mm-hmm. My mother's was always in the background, you know. Right. She wasn't very demonstrative. But what the first reader the first chap and to this staff how did they translate pg woodhouse oh, in goodness. italian i'm reading pg woodhouse <laughs> and giggling away oh, and lovely i had to do old bean and you know or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the toe <Watto> and whatever <laughs> so that was my first book from the library on the boat and then, as as I learned English, I'm so grateful to English. I love English.
1: Yeah,
0: it may not sound as musical as, but it's an incredibly rich.
1: Oh, it's brilliant! You can language. be so vague in English. You can avoid saying anything in English very clearly. But <laughs> it's an it's amazing so language. It's so rich. Yeah. Oh, it's
0: extraordinary. Because they haven't got what the French have, Academie Francaise, to keep the language pure. 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 They yeah. keep it poor, poor, not pure. The The English is amazing. I mean, I tried. I, I was a translator for a while in London when I first got to London. I translated books. God, it's easy translating from Italian into English. Yes, but the other way around. Yeah. You know, there's so many English words that are very difficult to translate.
1: Umberto Eco has a book on this
0: called <coughs> Mouse or Rat. I and, love Umberto ah, Eco, but I, no, I haven't read this. What's it called?
1: Mouse or Rat. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's a question of like, you know, uh, it's yes. the, the, a, a line in Hamlet. And he's like, okay, so is this a mouse or a rat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really, you know, it's uh, amazing.
0: Yeah. Know. Yeah. The book saved me. I read, read voraciously. So, of course, I got all of the pri- disliked at school. I mean, you know, a kid who just likes reading, not much fun, you know. But I always got the English prize, the music prize. Well, what, what was it? musical
1: instruments? Were singing or?
0: Uh, yeah, singing. I used to get gold medals for singing. Wow. Yeah, crazy, eh? Brilliant. Yeah, and also piano. Ah, lovely. And the art price. I used to do, so really. I should be one of these things. I ended up being a bloody teacher, which Ooh. I actually loved. Yes, I still love students. The writing or coming to see me here that I taught in America. Yeah. Goodness me. Yeah, I love teaching. I like people. I like kids from floating upwards. Yeah, and I like that what people find difficult. I find them. So interesting.
1: South Africa, then, is home for how long?
0: <laughs> there was never home for me. And that's where I married the first time, and I had all my children there. But fortunately, I met a wonderful man. Yeah, when Guy was six. Guy's now 48, and I, he was the uh, foreign correspondent for The Times. And uh, I went to a party and I said to a friend, Who's that man? And it was really love at first sight. My mother thought I was very unwise to go to America with him, you're not even married, because literally it was love at first sight. I knew this man I love. And then we went off to America, we lived in Washington. You know, but love to go to New York because Washington's so stuffy and there's always what was happening at the White House. Reagan was there. Oh, dear. Yeah.
1: <laughs> at least you got a jelly bean from his desk. <laughs> you met some extraordinary people in Washington and New York I remember. You well, said... I'll
0: tell you, one of my favorite people was Christopher Hitchens. I How do you, saying, you know that?
1: I remember you saying this. I, I, I bought H 22 <coughs> one day, I think. Ah. I had it in my hand. You're like, oh, Christopher. Yeah, um, so yeah. Because
0: he used to come to supper a lot, and I used to say, oh, Christopher, I love seeing you. So nice talking about poetry and books, and not, oh, it's so great you never talk politics. You know, he was great. So yeah, we met some very interesting people, you know. But he was my, my favourite.
1: What was it about him? Was he. Because he's he's quite a cynical character, really. He
0: was a terrible flirt. <laughs> I won't tell you. Yes, yes, you're not safe, uh, Christopher. Stop that. Just stop that. <laughs> you know, I love, I love Nick. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. He was, but he was lovely. He loved reading. He was a terrible drinker.
1: Yeah.
0: I must. Find, I'm going through my photographs. I must find some photographs of, of, Christopher looking. Out of it, you know, but all is such fun and so clever.
1: And how did you like America in comparison to Italy? So, small town Italy, rural Italy, then South Africa. To Which town did you, did you settle in in South Africa? I forgot to ask, sorry. Was it Joburg or was it?
0: Uh, no, it was Cape Town.
1: In Cape Town, right. Very so Cape Town's beautiful. A massive city.
0: Very beautiful. Yeah. But I love Joburg. Yeah. I actually did love Jovo. Jovo was buzzy and had an amazing theatre. And, uh, yeah, yes, so indeed. people were more interesting, Interesting, whereas in, in Cape Town it was all about the beauty of the mountains, etc. Yeah. yeah.
1: So how did Washington feel to you after all these different
0: <laughs> Well, Washington is quite a boring place because it's, comp- unless for Nick, it was fascinating. He was a foreign correspondent, and his best thing was politics. Passionate about politics, you know. He was one of the people who started the Independent when we got back.
1: Ah, oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah,
0: you know, he was a lovely, lovely man. Uh, very modest, very sweet. Anyway, so for him, it was very interesting. For me, the first year was difficult. I'd had a very interesting job in Gerberg. I I started the Italian department at an Afrikaans university, you know. Mm. Uh, And, yeah, I loved teaching, and I was teaching, yeah, Italian. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to Washington, the first year was tough, and then I thought, hang on, you know, so I went to one of the universities, the University of America. It's one of the main ones. There's one in Georgetown and then this other one. And I said, uh, yeah, I'd like to do a PhD in Italian. And they said, okay, fine, you can do it for cheap because they're very expensive if you teach. Oh, brilliant. So I was teaching there, doing my PhD, and one of the regrets of my life, I have two regrets, and that's one of them, that they do coursework. You don't do a, a thesis, oh. you do, and I passed to you know I passed to a first class all my exams, which is called the comprehensives. Yeah. People even write after their name all but the all but the something or other when you passed your comprehensive. So I passed that, and then the Times wouldn't give Nick any time more they, they desperately needed him in in London. Oh, no. so I couldn't finish. Oh, no. I could have finished it. I just had a dissertation, a short dissertation. What was the dissertation on? I was going to do it on Italian of women poets of the Renaissance because not much has been written about them. I didn't even know. Not much is known about the women. And didn't even ask me because I forgot. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I was going to do that. I thought, fine, I'll finish it in London. Got to London... My son, Robert, who had been in you have to do the army after after school in South Africa or after two years in yeah. those days, and he said, "Mama, I've got to leave because next they might be sending us the South you know to other places and expect us to kill yeah. to shoot yeah. Africans so I've got to leave so fine, come over and then the second son had mental problems. Mm-hmm. So he had to come over and be looked after. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Guy was only 12. Nick had a daughter by another marriage, so we're supporting the four kids plus his ex-wife who needed $2,000 a month. I thought, fine, I shall go and work. So I worked as a translator. I worked in a magazine. Then I started doing film reviews, which mm-hmm. I love. No time for my dissertation Delta, yeah. and then I thought well you know what I don't really care you know because I, I there was no job at London from uh, the London um, University that, except something I've um, done um, you know I wasn't little and so there weren't any academic jobs and, and the Italian was the Cinderella it wasn't like French you know so I thought right I'll carry on what you do now which I loved I ended up doing lots of film reviews and things for various magazines, which now, you know, films and filming, things like that, but then they're locked around. Gosh. Yeah, I loved it. And then I'm afraid Nick died. You know, he was only 47. Oh, my God. Yeah. So young. Yeah, yeah. I was a few years. I was, when he died, I was 50. I'm so sorry. Yeah. What what happened? Was Cancer, it... three months. Wow. Yeah, we went to Italy uh, because he wanted to see where my village, you know, Maddaloni mm. and places I loved. He wasn't well. And I kept saying, oh, darling, I, I wish you, it's that bloody independent. You're working so hard for that paper. And then when we came back, they... Operated him and there's nothing there, it was all over. And they said to me, They didn't tell him, but they said to me, He's got about three months at the most. Yeah, and that's it. So, yeah. yeah, that's how I came here because a few years later, my birthday was coming up. I thought, I don't want any celebrations. I don't, and he was very well known in London. Yeah, you know, I mean, and journalists are. Terrible bitches and they, you know, but they loved him. I mean, his funeral, it was was just love was palpable. Yeah, Yeah, and then I came here on a holiday and I got involved with someone for quite a long time. But, yeah, I came here basically, I wanted to go somewhere where nobody knew me. and Nobody knew Nick, nobody knew anything. So in a way, it was, like yeah, it was very liberating. But now I'm ready to go. Yeah. I think I want to go back. i either going to live in Edinburgh because I've got Some grandchildren guy, yeah. there and family. Guy's there and his ex-wife was a dear friend and, and the, the, my boys and then the girls are just, I just get up so I want to be near them. Oh, I might go. I'm going to live in my hometown for a couple of months and just you all like. back. Mm. That'll be extraordinary.
1: Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I would just ask about then Mull and what Mull has meant to you.
0: Well, I feel very free here. You know, nobody knew anything about me. People yeah. were friendly. You know, I made some good friendships.
1: What else has Mal you in terms of the space to be yourself? What has it
0: allowed you? To me, it's like it was my introduction to Scotland. You know, not so much a pretty Tobermory Main Street and the coloured houses, etc., in which I happened to live. Uh, just going I do miss driving going all over the island just stopping and looking at these amazing landscapes you know in a way I I realise I'm much more attracted to the sort of what some people I I sent a a photograph of, of you know a video outside my window to an Italian friend who said See, but it's a bit hard. I've never found this beauty no, hard. Know. It's not like it's it's hard. It's not at hard at all, at all. No. especially this one. Yeah. I didn't give him one of mountains and locks, etc. Yeah. Rocks. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> I, yeah, I found that very attractive. I love, I love the landscape. Like when I drive from here, I'm driven. I go from from Oban to Edinburgh, and you pass all this. Mm. It's amazing that landscape. It's beautiful, yeah. When I was thinking the other day, you know, how can you, you love places like Sorrento and Posidano? And, yeah, they're very pretty, and the colours and everything. They don't move me like. Where did I get this thing of loving Scottish landscape? You know. <laughs> so yeah.
1: It's very. It's who we are. Yeah, it gets in amongst us. The mind. It's extraordinary.
0: So now, yeah, it's weird that I'm thinking of leaving. Uh,
1: but if you keep the house, you can always come back. And
0: yeah, I think I'll keep this little flat. It's lovely. Yeah, it's a good spot. Yeah, because I have tried leaving before to Edinburgh and London, where I have dear, very dear friends. I've got like a London family. I, I just on the train, I say, I'm coming. I say, yeah, fine, lovely, make you bed. You know. And I do love London. I think yes. London and New York are my favourite cities.
1: Yeah, I love Glasgow. Glasgow's my favourite city, but London and
0: New, I New York. I don't know Glasgow there, but oh. the, I love the Glaswegians I've met. Yeah. They've got that same black humour that Neapolitans <laughs> have. Or oh, yes. Jewish humour, almost. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love every time I met a Glaswegian, I yeah, even asked him, ways such and such that take me there you know lovely lovely yeah
1: new york is an amazing city i I wish i had more time there
0: well Um, new york was the escape from washington and the dreariness of politics for me (laughs) you know new york was shows and people and cosmopolitan, like london you stop someone in the street and they say no sorry uh, i'm a spanish
1: yeah yeah love it yeah. yeah, Edinburgh's gone that way as well, very much so. I
0: like Edinburgh uh, too. feel yeah. very comfortable in Edinburgh.
1: Yeah, you hear so many languages spoken in the street in Edinburgh. It's just the best.
0: Very. Uh, but I go from the oh, station to film house. Yes. Film house and cameos are my spiritual house. <laughs> and then, of course, I've got Juliet and the boys. and yeah. It's a very happy goal when I go there.
1: Yeah. Have the nachos in the bar in the film house. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, I, yeah. I owe film house a lot. Yeah.
0: Now I miss, uh, yeah. I've tried. Uh, I do come back. Always I miss. I miss it when I'm away. You yeah. But, we'll you, but, uh, it? but yeah, a very dear friend of mine here, yeah, Barbara died, I really miss her. You know, she'd, she I, she was part of my Italian group, and then she'd run out, Ciao Bella. You know, mm-hmm. was smiling, sitting there, looking at the view. I miss her. And uh, feeling... yeah, yeah, I've lost a few friends, yeah. So I'm beginning to feel time to go. Mm.
1: Thank you so much, Juliana. It was lovely to spend time with you. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with such sincerity. I know so many people are going to love hearing what you have to say. So there you go. What We Do in the Winter is back. I'm sorry for the delay. It was for much longer than I intended. I've been frantically busy with work for so long now that I barely had a moment to myself to sit and work on it at all. I'm so lucky with my work. I really, really enjoy what I get to do but there's something very special about working on this podcast. I spent the entire morning today sitting with a big smile on my face as I was going through it all. Since last we met, there have been lots more developments and recordings in the background. The first thing is that we have a whole load of archive recordings from people who lived here on these islands in the past, which we're releasing in partnership with Mull Museum. This is thanks to the archive of Donald Langamull, who recorded many conversations and special community events and talks on reel-to-reel tapes. We've digitised a good few of these already, and we're in the process of releasing them on SoundCloud, on the What We Do in the Winter page, but not as part of the main podcast feed. So if you want to hear them, take a look at the notes or the webpage for this episode, and you'll find a link to What We Do in the Archive, as we're calling it. We're also gathering archive audio from other sources, so if you have anything you'd like us to include on this side of the project, please do get in contact. At present, only one recording has been released, which is a talk that Mary Morrison, mother of Ian Morrison, previous podcast guest, gave about education in the Highlands and Islands. We've got recordings featuring Lachy Nock, who I would have loved to have met, Bruce Cheap and many others. It's a proper treasure trove filled with just wonderful old tales and a lot of gossip, John McFarlane, the brigadier, was very kind enough to pass on some recordings he made with his father many years ago, and they're really something to hear. One of the tales that he has in there is about when the boys came back from the First World War, there was not enough space to feed everyone at the Aris Hall, so they used the hatching floor in the distillery where they would germinate the the, the grain, and uh, the. Uh, it, that was a much bigger space, so they had all the, the, the boys back there for a big dinner all together, and then they all went for a dance to the Aris Hall afterwards, which is a real, real thought. Another thing I was working on was that I was fortunate enough to work with Hannah Fisher, friend of the podcast, in the delivery of the Treor project for Fishing and Gale in four schools across the island. This was a Year of Stories project funded by Visit Scotland. We worked with the children of Benessen, Loch Don, Olva and Dervig schools to make their own songs, talk with community members, and discover the world of sound that surrounds them. They're really interesting testaments to the schools at that precise moment in time. Both Hannah and I were so impressed by how much the young people and their schools committed to the project. I can't wait to share them with you in the near future. I was asked by Southwest Mall and Iona Development to make a film for their year of stories project, again funded by Visit Scotland, called Creel of stories, or clave and Generish. This film documents aspects of the history of the fishing in the Ross of Mull and Iona. We look at the story of salmon netting, creel fishing, and talk to a number of businesses working with seafood today. Very often, when you watch a film, you think, well, I'd like to know more about that. So, when it came to making this film, I set most of the interviews up as podcast recordings. There's at least three podcasts to come from the research on that project that I'm very excited to liberate from their digital strongholds. I've also been talking to other people for the podcast, and there's a good few conversations waiting to be edited and shared with you. One episode in particular was great fun to record, as we gathered a group of friends together to talk about their life in the area they all grew up around. More on this later. So there you go. There's lots and lots more to come. It's brilliant to be back with you, as I'm sure you know, this is a project that I hold most dearly to my heart. If you want to support the podcast, please feel free to click on the donate tab on whatwedointhewinter.com, but obviously don't worry if you can't or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listened and went gallivanting with us rather than not. And on that, thank you so much to our monthly supporters. Needless to say, if you are a monthly supporter and you find yourself in different circumstances and not able to support the podcast anymore, don't worry at all about this. I totally understand. As ever, if you could be kind enough to leave a star review on whichever platform you're listening on, I'd be really grateful. It helps to spread the word about the project and makes these stories available to more and more listeners. And thank you to all of you who reach out to say hello. It always makes my day to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I hope life has been kind to you, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Take care, wherever you are. Moran tang. day.